Welcome to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. Devotions designed to inspire you on your daily walk with God. Here's your host, Ken Gurley. A good Tuesday morning, post-Memorial Day. I hope you had a meaningful, wonderful, memorable day yesterday, acknowledging the fallen, lifting up one another, thanking God for the freedom to worship in this country. So happy to see you all, each and every one of you. What a what a privilege to have you as a part of this. Sissy and Shelley and Marilyn and Tristane, I'm glad you're here. And uh, what a what a day we're going to have. Have you ever had a year, a year that rivaled no other? A year that took one from you? Yeah, can I see a hands where you say like, yeah, this year? Well, my wife and I had a year like that, a handful of years probably in our marriage and ministry like that. And I want to tell you about one of those years, probably the most recent one. And and I hope it ministers to you and I hope it helps you. But before I do, I've got to ask you, have you an anchor? Do you have help? Do you have stability? Do you have support for these last days? A pivotal a pivotal time that we're living in right now. So thank you for being a part of the great MD 2021 family, the devotees. Yeah, thank you for being a part of it. Share, share with others, like, share, follow the page. Happy that you are here. We live in a tumultuous time, a day that defies ordinary logic. And I I think it's a season that requires extraordinary faith. These are the days, those days prophesied about, the last days. And I believe those who would live godly in Christ Jesus, we've got to have a heightened sense of stability. We've got a hold of something stronger and something strong has got a hold of us to see us through. Because this is not a day for the faint of heart. Can I get a witness? Patty, Mike, Ben, this is not a day for the faint of heart. This is a day where we've got to say, I'm going through. I'm going through. Oh, sing it, MD Choir. Yes, I'm going to persevere. I choose to not be as unstable as water as the changing waves of the sea, but I'm resting, I'm clinging, I'm holding to the anchor of the soul, that that amazing rock, Christ Jesus. This morning, I want to borrow from him and give you a few words, I think, to whisper to yourself, to allow to permeate in your spirit. And we have an anchor and what a sure and steadfast anchor it really is. Here's a phrase, the anchor holds. Oh, get a hold of that. The anchor holds. Faith is called a shield in scripture, hope and anchor. And we have a hope, we have help for these seemingly hopeless and helpless times the anchor does hold. Have you an anchor? Do you have help for these last days? I believe we do. I believe we do. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful that we have something amazing to hold on to in this day. So welcome. This Tuesday morning, June 1, a new month begins. And by the way, we've got an anniversary happening this month. Oh, I'll have to share it with you the closer we get to that day, but it is a big, it is a big morning devotion anniversary coming up this month. And uh, this is a hint. We are approaching a hint, 500 morning devotions. And Lord willing, we're going to hit that this month. 
Hey, I don't know when you join this, but sound off. Let us know when you join this. Be a part of this family. Engage. Identify yourself. Share with one another. Encourage one another. We're here to see each other through. Even though there's hundreds of falls of greater height in the world, Niagara, Niagara Falls is the greatest and most powerful in North America. At a certain point, the Niagara separates the Canadian province of Ontario, the state of New York, and, and, it's, and it's there. It's there that we're going to see a 180-foot drop in that river at the falls. And before the falls, the current, the rapids are turbulent. But further upstream, however, the river's currents flow more gently, and they're deceptive. Even small boats can navigate there. Just before the Welland River empties into the Niagara, there's a pedestrian walkway that spans the river. And posted on the bridge's pylon is a warning sign for all boaters. Do you have an anchor? <laughs> That's what it says. Do you have an anchor? And then a the second question, do you know how to use it? Because before you get near the falls, before you face a difficult situation, before you get into these last days, you better know you got an anchor. You better know how to use it. Can I get a witness to that? Kirk and Rodney, you got to know how to use this anchor. And regrettably, some don't. Was the Apostle Paul noted of two men? Was it Hymenaeus and Philetus, I believe? They made a shipwreck of themselves, of their life. We need an anchor. We need an anchor. It's in the book of Hebrews that we're given five warnings. And I know this is, you say, this isn't edifying. This isn't blessing. I really believe it is. In Hebrews 2, there's the first warning. Hebrews chapters 3 and 4. The second warning spans those chapters. Hebrews 5 and 6, the third warning spans those chapters. Hebrews 10 is the fourth warning. And Hebrews 12 is the fifth and final warning. But my attention, my attention is drawn to that first warning. I, these warnings, it, it's a curious thing that can be actually lifted and set aside from the book of Hebrews. And it reads so wonderfully. It's so cohesive, so united. Or they can be examined collectively or individually. It's as if the Holy Spirit arrested the writer of Hebrews five times, five divinely sanctioned interruptions. That it, I, We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Some say Paul wrote it, but that's not without controversy. Some say James wrote it. Then you find these proponents of Barnabas, that Barnabas wrote it. Uh, then I've heard that Philip, Silas, Apollos, Luke. Yeah, we don't really know who the author of the Hebrew letter is. But what is not without controversy is how the Holy Spirit moved on this writer. And five times the writer was overwhelmed with alarm and sounded warnings uttered by the Spirit of God. We need to study all five warnings. We need to be familiar with them. But the first one gets my attention today. It's the warning, the danger of drifting is that we can drift. In Hebrews 2, it says we need to get the most earnest heed, the more earnest heed. We got to pay the most careful attention, one translation says, to what we've heard so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, then how much more, how much more if the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation, disobedience received its punishments, how much more should we be mindful? How should we escape if we ignore, if we don't heed such a great salvation? 
This salvation announced first by the Lord was confirmed to those who heard him. It's a danger of drifting. It's a nautical expression that we can drift away. We can lose our moorings and lose our bearings, be anchorless without hold, and we drift away in the current and the course of this world. The writer of Hebrews said the message given by angels, that was a law, but Jesus was and is better than the angels. That's the theme of Hebrew is better, 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 better. Yet if the message given by angels was binding, how much more is the one given by one who is greater than Moses, the one full of grace and truth, the Lord Jesus Christ? We can't afford to drift away from such a great salvation. I wish it wasn't this way, but I I think it's one of the most staggering and difficult things we learn is we realize how weak we are, how weak the flesh is. We drift. We we like to sing songs. Uh, Was it that old Carmen song? I've made my decision. I've staked my claim. I've drawn a line in the sand. I'll not be the same. We like that. We like that. But the reality is we drift and the lines we draw in the sand get blown away by the winds of time. We go back to yesterday's problems and hang up that we are weaker than we think we are. We drift away from the altars we built, from the convictions we once had. We drift away from revelations and inspiration of truth. We drift from callings and gifting. We drift from friends and sacred spaces. We drift. James Michener was a fictional author of yesteryear. He captured a lot of history in his writings, a lot of the context of the time, the period that he wrote about. One of his books, I believe it was a Pulitzer Prize winning book published in 1971, 50 years, uh, 40 years ago, it, it captured, or is that 50 years ago? Wow, 50 years ago, captured the rootlessness of a day gone by. It was called The Drifters, a generation in search of itself, without moorings, wandering, wondering where their place on earth was. We have seen a drift our day. It's become a notice, so noticeable. And as the last days approach, we got to get an anchor. Have you an anchor? Do you have a help for these last days? I want you to. You remember when Paul was en route to Rome, he had warned the captain, don't sail. A lot of storms are avoidable. He said, don't don't sail, don't sail. But he sailed anyway, directly into the storm. God proved merciful. The ship was lost. Everyone was spared. But do you remember on the eve of their deliverance? It was at the close of Acts 27, on the cusp of their deliverance to that safety of the island. They they encountered the razor-sharp rocks and reefs, and the crew dropped four anchors in the night, and they waited for daylight. Through the years, I've heard that, that scripture preached in so many different ways. Four anchors served as fodder for many messages, each anchor representing one thing or another. I really believe there's only one anchor, and that anchor is our hope, our confidence, our help. We know where our help comes from. It's in Jesus Christ. Do you remember that beautiful song we once sang on Christ, the solid rock I stand? All other ground is sinking sand. Come on, MD21 choir. Yeah, let it be heard. One of the verses said it like this. When darkness fails, when darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, 
the anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the overwhelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. Yes, he is the anchor, the anchor. But we read in Acts 27, they threw out four anchors. So let me let me just sort of give a fourfold nature of our trust in Jesus Christ and what it looks like in these last days as we hold on for dawn. I, I think the first anchor I would say would be never, and I mean never, 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 ever, never, never, did I say never? Never, never lose the joy of being saved. Oh, yes. The writer of Hebrews called it so great salvation. Don't neglect that. Or as the original language says, don't be indifferent, apathetic, lethargic toward it. It's such a great salvation. Never get over the joy of being saved. Appreciate what Jesus, Jesus, his name means Jehovah has become my salvation. Neither is there salvation in any other, Acts 4.12, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Don't ever, don't ever lose the joy of being saved, of waking up in the morning and just pinching yourself and saying, I'm saved and I'm so glad about it. Get the boldness of Paul. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of uh, Jesus Christ. It's a power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes I'm a believer. I'm a receiver. I've experienced the death, the burial, the resurrection. I've died through repentance. I've been buried in his name with him in baptism. And I'm rising and walking in newness of life through the power of that life-giving spirit. Can you get, can I get a witness to that? I, I love that. I love the joy of being saved. That is something so powerful, something so beautiful to get up in the morning and say, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. And I think it's so important. And I think that's the first aspect of a last day anchor that will give you some help is that I, my salvation, my salvation, my hope is in the veil. The Lord has given me strength. It's so great a salvation. Second anchor. I believe in this day and age is so important. We hold the truth in unrighteousness or hold the truth in righteousness. Just after Paul said he was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, he said the wrath of God is going to be revealed to all those who hold the truth in unrighteousness so that we should be godly. We hold the truth in righteousness, not unrighteousness. These are the last days. So many remarkable parallels between our culture and the Roman culture, a culture that was not destroyed from without, but eroded from within. And if we're seeing these parable, these parallels, then it must mean that Daniel's vision is almost finished, that we are at the end of the end. A godly lifestyle is so needed. Timeless principles in that area to be separate from the world. Don't identify with the ungodly. Maintain a clear conscience before God. Live at peace with all men. Mortify the deeds of the flesh. One of my favorite Bible teachers of day gone by was David Gray. How many of you remember him? Does anybody out there remember? Donna, Lillian, do you remember? Sister Lee, do you remember David Gray? Wow, he, he had so many great insights. One thing he called we apostolics. He said, we are New Testament Nazarites. 
As the Nazarites took vows and lived lives of separation, Paul, in his last letter, told Timothy that the foundation of God stands sure, and it has this seal on it. The Lord knows them that are his. And who are his? Paul said, those who depart from iniquity. Hold this truth in righteousness. That's the second anchor. Third anchor. Oh boy, here we go. Value fruit, not gifts. Now we know that God gives gifts to mankind, many graces of his spirit. But I remember the story that Jesus approached the fig tree outside of Jerusalem looking for fruit. I believe he still looks for fruit today. The fruit of the spirit in these last days, hear me carefully. This is an anchor. Lift the fruit of the spirit above the gifts of the spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus warned in the last days, there will rise false prophets coming in sheep's clothing that will destroy and they will plunder. How will you know these people? By their fruits, Jesus said. Now, I I grew up in this thing. How many of you grew up in this thing? We equated the gifts of the spirit with godliness. If a person was gifted, then they must be godly. And I agree it should be that way. But what should be, oh, here's some wisdom, is not always what is. The ideal is not always the actual. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. In other words, God can use a person without that person being right with God. They're not holding truth and righteousness. Jesus said in Matthew 7, many will say unto me in that day, in our day, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name, cast out devils, do many wonders, work many miracles? Weren't we gifted, Lord? But Jesus said, depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. It's one of the most interesting passages of scripture to me. I I don't get this passage. Do you remember when King Saul was on a David safari going to kill David, that he stumbled upon the house of the prophets and The spirit of the Lord slew him and he lay there prophesying. He had the word of God on his lips, but murder in his heart. Balaam had the word of God on his lips, but greed in his heart. God will work through anyone and anything, clean or unclean. In these last days, though, pay special attention to the fruit. Do you see the love and the joy and the peace and the long suffering? and the gentleness, and the goodness, and the faith, and the meekness, and the temperance. Do you see that there? Value that more in your life, more than any your own or anyone's purported ability to see and discern and prophesy, more than anybody's ability to call down fire out of heaven or to curse darkness or chase devils. We really need to grow lost in the orchard and in the fruit of the spirit. Three anchors, three anchors I've given you so far and I wanna hit the fourth and then I need to tell you a story. So never lose the joy of being saved. Hold the truth and righteousness. Value fruit more than gifts. And then here's the fourth anchor. Stay open to others, stay open. It was the contemptuous aspersion at Calvary that they said of Jesus, he saved others, but himself he cannot say. Even in his final moments, Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them. He had an other's mindset. I believe if we're going to see it through to the end and be the people God wants us to be in these last days, we need to think about them. Father, forgive them. Who are the them in your life? Your kids, your loved ones, your friends, your brothers, your sisters, 
your co-workers, your enemies, those who despise you, defame you. The last days are so designed to weaken the will of God's people, to scatter us. This is a day to make our calling and election sure, to make sure we remain in community, koinonia, fellowship, apostolic fellowship, strengthening one another. I believe that's part of the role that this devotion plays, to strengthen one another. But I bring you back now to that single anchor, that anchor that will see you through, the hope that is anchored within the veil, the rock of our salvation, our anchor, the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you an anchor? Do you have that divine help in these last days? I was looking for the words to a song this morning. I, I, and I came across the testimony of the author of the song, Lawrence Tunink. And when I read the story of his writing the song, God spoke to me and said, tell them the story. The story of 2017. Tuning describes such a year that we experienced in 2017. It was for him, 1992. He called it a year of sorrows. The Tunings, a pastoral couple, they faced such loss that year. Lawrence's father had died that year. He and his wife were spent. Then she had her third miscarriage and the world came crashing down. It was sort of that year we had in 2017. It was a year of loss for my wife and I. Can, can I just get transparent? It's a year of loss. Hurricane Harvey in Houston, waves of water inundated our city, but unseen to most. We never shared it with people. Waves of slander were directed at me and my wife and my family. But the tenant used to say, I talked about him yesterday. He used to say, Ken, I've been shot at many times and a few times by the enemy. We were shot at that year and for months and in the following years, my vehicle was stolen that year. My passport stolen, my computer stolen, iPad stolen. The most cherished possessions to me and my family were in that vehicle that was stolen and then tossed away and discarded, gone, all gone. But what hurt the most was the stealing of a name and reputation. Have you ever been there? People were just spreading so many lies. And and I, I have a philosophy. You really can't find out who's saying it. And uh, you just have to outlive these things. We searched for strength among our friends. And, and they were so kind to us. And they helped us. And they did what friends could do. But the hurt was very deep. People we'd given our lives to. And causes that really mattered to us. Dreams we had. Sacrifices. Untold sacrifices. We made in the people that we invested in. They were all tattered and torn like the sails in a driving storm. But as we have so many times, we prayed, we preached, we persevered our way through the storm, led by a gentle hand that tugged on us. Looking back, I can say this today, had it not been for that year, the book on prayer would have never been written. The identity of our true friends would have never been revealed. The character and the worth of our family and church family would not have been grasped. I thought of that year when I, when I was looking for lyrics this morning and I read Tuning's story about 1992, what he called their year of sorrows. They stole away for six months, a sabbatical of sorts. And during that time, Lawrence started doing something he hadn't done for years. He started playing the piano again. 
He would play, he said, for hours at a time, driven, gripped by an instability and uncertainty he had never known. But one day, all alone with God, the words started coming. I want to share these words. I've had visions. I've had dreams. I've even held them in my hand. But I never knew they would slip right through like they were only grains of sand. But here's the course. The anchor holds. Though the ship is battered, the anchor holds. Though the sails are torn, I have fallen on my knees as I faced the raging seas. And here's this line I love. The anchor holds in spite of the storm. And that's my prayer for you. That's what we found in our year of loss. And I pray that the year of loss that we have experienced, and I pray that the difficulties you have faced, that you will find that the anchor holds in spite of the storm. Have you an anchor? Do you have help in these last days? Is there one that you have taken that nail-scarred hands and allowed him to guide you through this year? We are gathered together here to remind ourselves that we are part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not the totality. We're not the whole. We're just members of the body of Christ. But when we gather together, just as we are this morning, God is able to help us and to see us through. I pray you have an anchor. I pray that anchor holds in these last days. God bless you. Thank you for being a part of this today. Share, share with others. And let's just see. Let's just see how God can take a year of loss and turn it into a year of plenty for you. May he be with you today. I look forward to seeing you again tomorrow. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. Join us next time for another inspiring devotion. To support this ministry, please visit firstchurch.com forward slash give.